0: Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Hey, well, good morning to you. It's fantastic to be speaking to you this morning. As we continue our Jesus Over Everything series, Jesus Over Everything. A particular welcome if you're here for the first time, you're visiting, you're a guest, just welcome, like this is the section where we open the Bible, we see what God wants to say to us and we pray for someone called the Holy Spirit to be ministering to us, which means like he moves in our midst and he makes what would otherwise be just a text, he makes it alive in our hearts, he makes it grow like plants in good soil into our minds, he renews our minds, he restores our hearts and he gives us a new sense of calling, of vision and purpose. So I am expectant and you should be expectant. I want to impart that to you straight away. Like, let's not waste our time here, people. We are expectant that God is here, that Jesus wants to speak to you and I. So even if you've never met Jesus before, I want to tell you, be expectant. He's awesome. He's amazing. And and that's the heart of what I want to tell you about today is the amazingness of Jesus, that he's over everything. And we've looked at how he's over sickness, how he's over our calling, our purpose, how he's over evil itself. And today we're looking at Jesus over sin. Jesus over sin. It can be a heavy topic in the church, but I hope that by looking at it today, it will make us worship Jesus more. As Martin spoke about the holiness of God. His holiness would fill our hearts, the room today as we speak. So I'm going to be speaking from Mark chapter 2. As you might have picked up, we're closely tracking Mark's gospel, really closely. We're only on chapter 2, but there's so much already to learn about Jesus. Uh, He's so amazing, as we've already seen. So I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Uh, you could turn it on in your um, device or just watch it on the screen with me now. It's an amazing story of Jesus At home, at home. That's what it talks about. We're not sure if it was like, if he had a mortgage down or, but we think he was just kind of bunking down at Peter and Andrew's house, but it was his home. He's come home. So it starts like this, Mark 2 verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers. There wasn't any room left, not even outside the door. This is how amazing Jesus is. And Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law, that means... Church leaders, basically. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, nervous laugh from Tim there. I've got a nervous chuckle in my heart as well. Thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. So he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this. Praise the Lord. We have never seen anything like Jesus at work, like Jesus in the room. We've never seen anything like this. This is Jesus. Jesus, so attractive, so incredible. Authority to forgive your sins. And that's what we're going to explore today. But first of all, we need to unpack what sin means. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And it's such an alien word to our culture. What does sin mean? Well, I I thought long and hard how to do it theologically. And I ended up with this question. Do you all know about little rabbit foo-foo? Can I see a hand if you know... Come on, be bold. Come on. It's not to be ashamed of. Have a look around. These are special people, everyone. Have a look around. Have a look around. This is Little Rabbit Foo Foo. Uh, It's a children's book. Here it is. And a few weeks ago, Becky, my wife said, can you read to Levi? Levi Levi's our six-year-old. Here's the book, Little Rabbit Foo Foo. So I sat in the bed with Levi and I started reading this story. I'm going to summarise it for you today. So, little rabbit Fufu, well, he's wild, he's wicked, he's little rabbit foo-foo, wriggly tigers, goblins, no one is safe from this bad boy bunny. <laughs> Don't you want that to describe you on your Twitter handle? So I was reading with my son Levi. This guy, he rides through the forest, he picks up field mice and he whacks them on the head. So, this good fairy comes down, here's the good fairy... She comes down and she says, you can take her off now, thank you. She says, I don't like your attitude, little rabbit foo-foo. She says it like that. That's how I said it. I don't like your attitude. I'm going to give you three chances to change. Otherwise, I'm going to turn you into a goonie. <laughs> What's a goonie, I hear you ask. <laughs> Me too. So I turn the page. I thought, oh, this is fun story, Levi, isn't it? What's little rabbit foo-foo going to do? Well, he carries on the story and he goes back into the forest And this time he picks up some worms and he whacks them on the head again. So the good fairy comes down. She says, I don't like your attitude, little rabbit foo-foo. I don't know how this is translating, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is awesome. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, And he whacks the worms on the head. And so uh, the the good fairy comes down and she says, I'm going to give you two more chances to change your attitude, little rabbit foo-foo. So I think, what's going to happen next? I turn the page. He goes out again. He collects tigers in the forest. He whacks them on the head. The good fairy comes down and says, I'm going to give you one more chance, little rabbit foo-foo, to change your ways, or I'm going to turn you into a goonie. I'm intrigued. You're intrigued. Levi's intrigued. What's going to happen? So... And you know when you notice there's not many pages left. So I I turn the page. What's Little Rabbit Foo-Foo going to do? Well, he goes out into the forest and he collects goblins. And he whacks them on the head. So the good fairy comes down one last time. She says, I don't like your attitude. You've got no chances left. And she whacks him on the head. He turns into a goonie. And the book ends. (laughs) What? What? What is that? What what is that? What is that, Lee? What? I've just spent 10 minutes investing in my son's future. <laughs> what? Is that it? Is that the story? A dead end, no transformation, no redemption, no hope. What is Levi to learn from this? Well, if you keep being bad, son, you'll become a goony. <laughs> Listen. Oh. Now, I want to ask you to do something important. I want you to turn to the person next to you and quite confidently and aggressively point to you're a Goonie. One, two, three, go. Come on. Now, all together, we're going to say, We're all Goonies. This is for the people at home, all right? One, two, three, we're all Goonies. And again, one, two, three, we're all Goonies. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, dear. In our Bible reading today, right, Jesus seems to be dealing with one of the biggest things in our lives that we can't control sickness. Derails our whole lives. But with the incredible plot twist in the story is that Jesus sees and knows and wants to say to you, and I say there's something far more eternally significant and important that derails you eternally. Jesus wants to deal with the goonie in you. That is the theological explanation of sin, people. (laughs) Goonie. We're all goonies. We keep doing the same thing again. Little rabbit, foo-foo. Again and again, riding through the forest, giving another chance, another chance, another chance. The Bible calls it sin. And it's this magnetic pull to keep riding through the forest, whacking things on the head. that means for you. Another way uh, the Bible talks about sin is missing the mark. Uh, I went to um, play darts with a few guys this week, not my everyday thing, but I tell you what, they keep missing the mark, don't they? If you're not a darts player, wherever you aim it to go, it just keeps missing the mark. It hardly ever goes where you want it to go. And how often do you know that to be true in your life with your character, with anger or impatience or addictions and patterns that just keep riding through the forest again and again and again. This is what the Bible talks of as sin. And it's not like God says, right, you guys have got to suffer from sin and you guys are going to be fine, you don't need to. No, the Bible says all of us share in this systemic problem of sin, of little rabbit foo-foo. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this way of sin, of riding through the forest again and again, is the opposite of what's on the wall at the back, the cross. Because the cross is one dedicated route consistently of obedience to the Father, of laying down self, even though it seems absurd, because there's trust in the Father's voice that this is what's best for my life. That's the way of the cross. The way of sin is self on the throne avoiding the way of the cross. So it's a cheap throne, it's an empty throne, and it's not gonna be an eternal throne. That's the message of the gospel. And we have to grasp this first part. Remember, we talked of it as the wonderful news at the start of this series, Mark 1-1. The wonderful news, straining on tiptoes. It's so incredible. But we can only grasp how incredible the revelation of Jesus Christ is on our earth if we first grasp the pull of sin. The the desire to not follow what God wants for us. And we're doomed without Jesus coming to us. Coming close and saying, I've got a different way to live. I can break the cycle. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's an incredible thing that we're going to see in this passage. And we see how Jesus makes this such an important, the deeper revelation in verses one to five. If we look at the text, the man's been lowered down. And by this point, everyone knows that if there's Jesus and there's faith, there'll be healing. That's the pattern already. We only had one chapter, remember, Mark goes straight in. But we already know that's what will happen. Faith, Jesus, healing. So when the man is lowered down through the roof, Jesus says to the paralysed man, you're healed. No. He says, your sins are forgiven. That's wild. Because he should have said, you're healed. But he says, your sins are forgiven. And in that one line, we learn that this is, everything I've just said, the most important condition in the human being that needs saving. And it's beyond your capability to fix. No one else on this earth can fix the little rabbit foo-foo problem in us. No one, no one. And so the shockwaves, that one line, your sins are forgiven, (laughs) all through the house, (laughs) all through the crowd, (laughs) all through the area. (gasps) What? What? Your sins are forgiven? It's absolutely remarkable. Why? Because Jesus here is talking about restored relationship with the Creator God with the Holy God, the most important priority of anyone's life. You think you've got priorities this week? This is your priority. Restore your relationship with your creator, God. This is your priority this week. This is my priority this week. Intentionality. Restore your full relationship with your creator, God. It's the highest priority now, verse six to seven. Some church leaders were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does he talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? There it illustrates shock wave I'm talking about. But also what this illustrates is Jesus is God. Now you see people question, and you might be questioning today all the time, what well, Jesus was good, Jesus was a teacher, Jesus was a prophet. A lot of religions say Jesus was a prophet. But to say Jesus is God, well, I'm not sure about that. They knew As soon as he said, your sins are forgiven, they knew he was saying he was God. There's no question that he's just a teacher or a prophet. They said he was blaspheming because he was claiming to do what only God can do. So the people in the passage knew straight away that Jesus was claiming to God. And we um and are about it. And maybe that's you today. I'm not sure. Well, you can have confidence that Jesus is who he says he was that Jesus is God himself here to fix our little rabbit foo-foo problem. And I love this aside, going back to the passage, as you could tell, we're tracking through the passage. And that's my structure, Verses eight and nine. I love this. Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up, take up your mat and walk? Just as an aside, I just love that do you love that? Which is easier to say? They're both ridiculously hard to say, Jesus. I couldn't say either of them to anyone. I just love that. Which is easier to say, guys? Like Jesus is so cool, isn't he? He's so genius. He's just brilliant. And here's the teaching. I want to come with me now for just a few minutes here. I love this, this little bit, verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. The son of man, if we could have that on the screen, the son of man. This is how Jesus described himself. He uses this term 78 times in the gospels. And it's a really important term. On the one hand, in Aramaic, it just means you or I. It means a human, okay? It's not a title. But Jesus' genius Again, takes what would be generic and he makes it his title by referring to an Old Testament passage. Stay with me. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And Daniel 7 talks about a divine human figure in the heavenly realms with God the Father on the throne. And this divine human figure defeats evil and restores God's presence and God's kingdom with us on earth. And here's the thing, this is what Jesus is claiming to be. And it's so important because even the term sons of God was used by other people at the time. The Roman emperors described themselves as sons of God because they wanted worship. So even that title wasn't unique enough. It didn't point enough to this absolute divine uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And so he takes this thing off the shelf, son of man, and he brings it right on the TV screen in front of everyone. He says, hey, I'm the son of man. I'm the divine one here, restoring the kingdom of God, defeating evil right in front of your eyes. And you could feel, as you could feel like the pin drop moment in the room, in Jesus' home, when he says, the son of man can forgive sins. What? What? The Son of man? The divine human figure in the heavenly realms. And here's the thing. There's a clue to the cross here because this divine human figure in Daniel 7, God the Father gives him all authority. gives him glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is what happens through the cross. God the Father elevating the Son of Man, Jesus, saying his kingdom knows no ends. Look at Jesus, worship Jesus, bring everything to Jesus. But the plot twist moment is this. In Daniel 7, stay with me, the Son of Man is given authority by God to release judgment. Judgment. Now, what does the good fairy dispense? Judgment. Whack on the head. Ironically, exactly what little rabbit foo is doing to other people. Again, how often is that you and I response to sin in other people? Whack on the head back. <laughs> Look what they're doing. Whack on the head back. And this cycle occurs. And so judgment is what the Son of Man is given in Daniel, in Daniel 7. And this is so important because God is holy. God is absolutely holy. He's set apart from, but he's also set above from us. He's, he's total purity. He's total goodness. We can't understand it because we're not. But he's total purity and total goodness and total holiness. So sin can't be mixed with him, right? So sin can't just happen and then nothing happens. Like our sin, it can't just be like we do whatever we want, like our culture often says, and it doesn't matter. No, if sin happens, something has to happen because God is purely good and purely holy and it can't mix with him so that's where judgment has to happen on sin it has to happen we can't cut it out of the gospel of the story God is completely good so in our story the good fairy is kind of what well maybe God will do this he'll just whack people on the head but the plot twist here is Jesus rather than dispensing judgment what does he pour out on the man lying helpless on the floor in a crowded hot room, forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. How many times? Forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. The book would never end, the pages would never stop turning. The number of times God wants to forgive you and I. He's made a way because what matters to him most is restored relationship with God for you and I. He so wants you face to face with him, in love with him, adoring him, at peace with him, at rest in him, that he will just keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. This is the glory of Jesus. Can I hear a hallelujah? Praise him. Praise him. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that it flows, that it never ends. Thank you, Jesus, that you've been given all authority and yet you dispense forgiveness and grace and mercy that instead of a full stop, there's a comma. Instead of the end of the book, there's a whole new book of life for us to live because we're forgiven people. We're forgiven people with a forgiving God who sent his son to die for us. And here in a hot room, he dispenses that forgiveness it's amazing, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. That's right. That's right. Let, let's just have a moment. Have a moment. Have a praise break, as they say. <laughs> just let it soak in. Thank you, God. Amazing. Amazing, Jesus. God's own solution to the problem. So God is not like the good fairy in the story. There is transformation, there is redemption, there is hope for us. And here is what I love, the end of the passage, verses 11 11 and 12. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God, saying we've never seen anything like this. And the word here for amazed literally means out of their minds. Out of their minds. Absolutely wild. Euphoric. Bouncing on their feet. We've never seen anything like this Jesus. Why? Because He doesn't just heal. He forgives. Outside of the temple. Outside of the sacrifice. Outside of the priest. Outside of hundreds of thousands of years of structures. He just forgives, and He's in the building today. He's in your home today. He sits next to you on the sofa today. He's with you as you open your Bible tomorrow morning faithfully. God, speak to me today. He's here for you if you've never met Him today. This Jesus is amazing And that's why we we value worship because worship is one of these moments together where we go out of our minds. Like church needs to be out of its mind. Yes, there's a place for lament. Yes, there's a place to journey together through suffering. But there's also a place to be out of our minds and celebrating because Jesus is here. I want to end with this if the band want to come up to to, um, join me. I want to end with this picture. It's quite a different picture, but uh, I think it illustrates why this matters so well. This is a, a real story, not a little rabbit foo foo story. This is Notre Dame Cathedral. Do you remember this? Pre pandemic, I know, but it still is our earth and timeline. <laughs> and this dreadful fire that burnt through the cathedral, and it's a beautiful and horrifying picture all at once. And the ruin is is so disturbing because the building had such precious value to so many people, didn't it? Like it was such a cultural artifact, such a special place. It had such value. And yet here is in ruins. God hates sin. God hates sin because it's a disease It's a fire that ruins human lives. It's a fire that ruins human lives. And you and I are of incredible value. And that's why I think I found Little Rabbit Foo Foo so disturbing. The dead endedness of it, the writing off of the rabbit, the finality of the final turn of the page, the burning down of the bad boy bunny. That doesn't have to be the end of the story. We have such value and God wants to build his kingdom on our lives and his fire is a refining fire rather than a destructive fire and it burns away the sin and it leaves us standing to be a foundation for an incredible move of his kingdom come through us in Birmingham and to the world. So stand up now into that. Let's stand as the band start leading us. We're standing up into a kingdom move of God, that we would be His foundation, that His refining fire would burn through us, that He would build His kingdom on us today. And I've asked the band to lead this amazing song that expresses this so well. And I'm gonna pray in a moment. They're gonna lead the song. And what I wanna invite us to do is just to re-consecrate ourselves to the Lord. So after I've prayed and the band start the song, I want to invite you just to kneel. Uh, and if you can, get out into an aisle. Get out into the front. Get out to a space. It doesn't have to be the front, but just get out into a space. For me in my life, I've had such significant moments when I've got out of my chair. And I remember it because I got out of my chair. And, and, you might, and I'm an introvert and I hate it, but I do do it. So if you don't normally do it, why not do it today? <laughs> and even if this is the first time in church, why not try it today? Just kneel down and it's a sign of saying, God, I, I need you. Jesus, would you forgive me? So let me pray and I want to invite you to reconsecrate yourselves in that way. It's fine if you don't want to, if you want to stay where you are, that's there's no judgment at all, it's fine. Father God, we thank you for your presence here. And we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Let's just wait on him a moment. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Would you come and do what you want to do with us as a church, with us as a people? We know you've got incredible plans for our lives. Incredible kingdom come moments to happen. But we know we need to get down low so you can be big. We know that we need to recognize our brokenness so you can be strong in us. Your power is perfect in our weakness. So we say we're weak, God, but you are strong. We say, Jesus, you're worthy of it all. Would you walk in the room now and minister to us? Amen. And just invite you to come out as the band lead. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastreet.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.